The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Inflation is much too high. And we understand the hardship it is causing. Bringing down the deficit is one way to ease inflationary pressures. I think deep down inside, Jerome Powell thinks, well, this isn't going to do diddly squat. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Yeah, the administration, the Biden administration, is running out of their current drawdown authority. That will get us to about the third week of this month. They are mobilizing people. They are now sending notices to people in the reserves. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden offers his plan to lower inflation just as gas prices hit a new high. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we explore the most important issue of the midterms, of course, rising prices with details on the president's plan unveiled today. May sound familiar in many cases, along with what he calls the ultra MAGA alternative. And reaction from the top-ranking Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee will be joined in just a moment by Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. And from our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with analysis and an eye on the primaries. We're going to look at the vote happening today in West Virginia and Nebraska with Bloomberg campaign specialist Greg Giroux. And we'll have an eye on the House this evening with a vote expected on a nearly $40 billion emergency Ukraine spending bill Above the number President Biden requested, it appears to have enough support to clear both chambers by early next week if things go as planned. It's a clean bill, right? This is a pretty big development today, actually, as the president backed off, Democrats backed off this idea of attaching COVID funding. He issued a statement suggesting that he understands that's going to bog things down. And so here's your clean bill. And it's going to be well-timed, as we heard today from Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby. Here he is. Between what the president just announced Friday and the 100 million that we still have left, and we're going to be working that in real time with the Ukrainians, um, uh, that that will get us to about the third week of this month is what we're, we're pretty much anticipating, uh, which is why we, uh, uh, we continue to, to urge Congress to, to pass the president's supplemental request as soon as possible so that uh, we can continue to provide aid to uh, Ukraine uninterrupted. So next week, and as lawmakers prepare to vote on more weapons and humanitarian aid for Ukraine, inflation was the talk from Wall Street to Washington as President Biden addressed the nation again today, show work that's been done, plans for the future to get prices down. Here's the president. Our economy has gone from being on the mend to on the move. But for every worker I met who's gained a little bit of breathing room to seek out a better paying job, for every entrepreneur who's gained the confidence to pursue their small business dreams, I know the families all across America are hurting because of inflation. He offered a number of familiar ideas from what we once called Build Back Better. Think expanded child tax credit, lowering the cost of prescription drugs. The president spent, though, as much time talking about Republican economic policies. And so we wanted to get reaction from the top Republican 
on the House Ways and Means Committee. That would be Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. He's with us now. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg. Joe, thanks for having me. President Biden addressed the American people today about the economy. He talked a lot about inflation, which you and I have talked a lot about, the causes, the potential cures. I want to walk through some of the things that he said with you as presented at the White House today, what he called two alternatives, his plans for future growth and to lower prices, and one, as he framed, from congressional Republicans. It's actually from Senator Rick Scott. I realize you're in the House, but here's how he put it, and then I'd love to have you respond. Senator Rick Scott, Wisconsin, a member of the Senate Republican leadership, laid it all out. And a plan. It's the ultra-MAGA agenda. Their plan is to raise taxes on 75 million American families, over 95% of whom make less than $100,000 a year total income. The average tax increase would be about $1,500 per family. They've got it backwards, in my view. Now, first, uh, Congressman, we know Rick Scott is from Florida. But beyond that, is President Biden wrong about this plan? Yeah, he is. In fact, he's been fact-checked repeatedly. I think he was given three Pinocchios for that claim that uh, the Republican tax plan is Rick Scott's plan. It's not. That's one member of the Senate. The truth of the matter is our, our tax plan is what you know, making permanent those lower uh, uh, tax rates for families, small businesses, doubling the uh, child tax credit and making that permanent and doubling the standard deduction. So, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised the president continues to, to make that claim because even the Washington Post fact-checked him as, hmm. as false on that. He also talks about Rick Scott's plan to sunset social programs. You've heard about this, requiring things like Social Security to be renewed after five years. Is that wrong? You know, uh, I think there's a better way to uh, save Social Security once and for all. I do think, though, that uh, many states do put sunsets uh, on their programs uh, and agencies to hold them accountable to taxpayers. They yeah. normally do it on a decade or every 12 years, and that's just to make sure that, again, taxpayers have a say in whether these agencies go on into eternity. I, I in fact, carried that legislation uh, as a freshman and sophomore, passed it out of the House. Hmm. But, no, it, it exempted Social Security, Medicare, and those uh, entitlement programs. Is that something the president was passionate about this? He raised his voice last week. He said people have been paying into these programs for their entire lives. The president is just is desperate, throwing anything out there, including what many people believe is an illegal cancellation of student debt. And so I think he's doing his best to try to make just wild claims and hope the public believes it. But, but they don't. They've seen his presidency. They've seen this economy. They've seen the border. Uh, and they've seen the crime. And so I, I don't think any of these desperation, you know, efforts are going to work. Well, he's creating uh, the two paths. You you come with the Democrats, as he framed it, releasing oil from the strategic reserve, squaring away the supply chains, extending the child tax credit, one you mentioned, lowering drug prices, or go the ultra-MAGA route. Do you, does that name bother you? Yeah, um, you know, not necessarily, but I, he obviously is trying to make this election about President Trump, when in fact everyone knows this this election is about President Biden and Democrats in Congress. And if he wants to talk taxes, first, let's talk inflation. That is a huge tax. And this year, the average family would pay about $5,000 more mm-hmm. to buy what they did the year before. It's just crushing. And secondly, he's still trying to push for a trillion and a half tax hikes on Main Street businesses that will drive inflation even higher. Other countries are lowering their taxes 
to deal with inflation. This president's trying to heap more on Main Street businesses and families. So, look, I, I don't think he can escape his own presidency at this point. It gets awfully confusing. The president says these components, what we called Build Back Better last year, it may come up in some other form this year, is how to lower prices. Republicans say, no, that is actually why prices are higher. I guess my question for you, Congressman, is can we beat inflation without going into a recession now that the Fed is addressing this? You know, because here's my worry, Joe, because both the White House and the Fed was in denial and sort of dismissed this for all of last year. Now the the, the likelihood of a recession that's needed to break that that inflation cycle now is much higher. And I think that delay has hurt the country in a big way. So it's going to be tough. Every wage price spiral like we're in today ends in a recession, and it's very painful, which is why all last year we were so, you know, frustrated with, look, you've got to deal with these these issues, Mr. President. So, no, I, I think it's very likely it, it, it ends up in a recession. President outlined the causes of inflation today, pandemic and the war in Ukraine. Of course, the pandemic comes with all kinds of stuff, the shifting demand to goods, the impact that COVID had on economies shutting down, the supply chain issues. But is that oversimplifying the matter? It is in a big way. And yes, those factors do matter. But but long before that was the president's own nearly $2 trillion COVID stimulus. That fueled inflation. You can look at every graph and watch it just take off right then. Secondly, his own policies, besides just that $2 trillion of stimulus and, and other programs, is that same bill paid a lot of Americans to stay home rather than reconnect the work, which is why we still have a worker crisis, which is driving inflation. We don't have the people to man the production lines, to assemble products, to deliver them, or even service them. And so the, these are his policies. This is his inflation. That's why so many people now, I'm looking at my screen, trending Biden inflation. You know, this is a, this is a big issue for families. You and I have talked at length about energy prices. Are the administration's attempts to boost domestic drilling, and I know you disagree with the pre-war policies when it comes to energy from this White House, but are these new efforts actually working to increase production? Yeah, they're not, unfortunately, because on one hand, the president's talking about the need to do more production and releasing, you know, strategic uh, fuel from our reserves. But on the other hand, announcing new regulations that, that lock off large parts of America from exploration and production. He still continues to block the, the pipelines that could get this, this oil and gas to the refineries and back out to our communities. And so, yeah, I think it's a sort of a, a bait and switch that, again, I think the public has seen uh, so much in these past this past year and a half that I just, uh, Joe, I may be wrong, but I don't think they're buying it. $4.37 a gallon, an all-time high when apparently not adjusted for inflation, but that's a big number. Does it go higher? It's huge. Yes, it likely does. Um, it does because demand continues to be strong. Uh, we're seeing, you know, other countries start to wean themselves off Russian oil. They're going to be relying on you know, countries like the U.S. that does export mm-hmm. uh, on, on natural gas and other issues. And so, yeah, I think the I think the continued uncertainty in the world and in the U.S. on, on production um, is going to drive prices higher. Lastly, Congressman, aid for Ukraine, does that $40 billion pass as a clean bill? You know, I think it does. I, I the, This is – so uh, I think most members of Congress have not yet looked into that $40 billion exactly – how that breaks down, but mm-hmm. I would say 
you know, on the surface of those are valid lethal weapons and, and other uh, support we give them, I, I think it'll 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 pass. Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican from Texas, ranking member Ways and Means. It's great to have you back on Bloomberg. Thanks, Joe. Take care. And coming up, we assemble the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano and Republican strategist Rick Davis. As voters are presented, as you just heard, with the Biden plan or the ultra MAGA version on the buffet of choices. We'll get into it with the panel. We'll check traffic and the markets for you after hours as well. On the fastest hour in politics, this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, Biden nods to families' inflation pain, lashes out at GOP plans. Congressman Brady didn't seem to like what he heard, and well, I guess that's all by design, as the president went for the ultra-MAGA Yet again, we got a little peek behind the curtain last week at, at the speech of the president was talking about deficit reduction and reeled into this uh, this uh, what I guess will be a permanent portion of the speech here about Rick Scott and his economic proposals. Ultra MAGA, though, I guess goes beyond just the economy. It's it's all political issues from that perspective, as we heard from Jen Psaki when she was asked about on the White House press briefing. Here's the press secretary. But he's also not going to stand by uh, and not call out what he sees as uh, ultra-MAGA uh, behavior, ultra-MAGA policies um, that are out of the mainstream of the country and are not in the interest of the American people, whether that is efforts to prevent a woman from making choices about her own health care or whether that is Chairman Scott's uh, policy and proposals on uh, that would raise taxes on people making less than $100,000 a year. Um, he's going to continue to call that out, but he believes there's still a path to move forward on where we have agreement. All right, let's assemble the panel to talk this out a little bit with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Jeannie, was this successful today to kind of bring the two lanes at once here? This is what we're doing and hope to do with inflation. Here's what the ultra MAGA alternative is. Or is Joe Biden not the person to be telling that to voters? He's the person who has to be telling this to voters. You know, from a perspective of the economy, policy proposals, there was nothing new here. As you talked about with Representative Brady, there was not one new proposal. From a political perspective, he got to underscore his major argument, ultra MAGA, this is not your father's Republican Party, these kinds yeah. of lines they keep throwing out. You know, they want to talk about Rick Scott as much as they possibly can. But the reality of this situation is it is a death situation for the White House. I was looking back when Gerald Ford took the White House. He went before Congress and he asked people to carpool, turn down their thermostats and plant a wind garden. This is how desperate presidents get. Alan Greenspan later said it was incredibly stupid, but he had no alternatives. Same position Joe Biden is in right now. That's why he's going to talk about MAGA, Trump as, and Rick Scott as much as he can. 
Well, that's a tough position to be in here, Rick. I think I'm just curious from a scientific messaging standpoint, if you're preparing the president to address the nation about the the number one issue that could likely derail Democrats here in the midterms, does it cloud the message? Does it do you get in your own way when you start spending as much time on ultra MAGA as you do your own ideas? Well, Joe, I only wish there was something scientific about messaging. <laughs> Maybe I made that up. Oh, no, it's all right. You look at the polls, you try and test words and phrases, and at the end of the day, it just depends upon what's backing them up. And in this case, uh, I think that the, the the challenge Biden has is he really doesn't have anything new to offer, as, 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 as Kevin Brady said. And and I think that that's, that's got him painted into a corner. I don't know why he doesn't take a leaf out of what – uh, Congressman Brady was suggesting and 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 throw in some gas tax holidays, do something to lower taxes, uh, do something that will actually take some of the financial burden away from households and businesses rather than thinking about ways of sustaining an economic agenda that maybe seemed fine to him at the beginning of his administration when there was no inflation. but mm-hmm. but he's just not shown the ability to pivot. Now that the economy has changed and he's got a new burden to bear. And, and, and at least today was his first attempt, you know, months, months into this to actually address it head on. I mean, we rarely heard him even say the word inflation, you know, for the last six months while it has built up into this crescendo. Yeah, this is the day, uh, as you well know, Jeannie, that we hit a new high, $4.37 a gallon. It's just in the air. You look at the stock market, you get a sense of what everyone's talking about on Bloomberg, for instance, and you kind of look at the conversation that's happening here in Washington. The president is also going out of his way to talk about, look, this was two causes, right? For It wasn't all the spending. It was COVID. It was a pandemic, and it's the war in Ukraine. Are people going to believe that in November? Yeah, I filled up my car today. It was four ninety nine. Someone reminded me it was around two ninety a year ago, and so that? it is stunning as we all go to the you know fill up our gas and get groceries and everything else. Um, you know whether people believe it or not, you know there is truth to the fact that COVID and the Russian invasion did have an impact on the price of oil and food and everything else. But the fact is, neither COVID nor nor Putin are going to be on that ballot in November. The president knows this is a referendum on who's in power. They are in power. Democrats are in power. So they're going to take the heat, which is why he is trying desperately to turn the conversation around. We heard it over and over today. He wants to say that, yes, we're in control. But if you let the Republicans, these ultra MAGA people come in, you know what they're going to do. They are going to cut Social Security, cut Medicare, cut Medicaid, Mm -hmm. increase your cost of living. So don't put them back in power because it will be worse. I mean, we you know, he's really talking about it's bad now, but it's going to get worse. It's a warning, and we're going to keep hearing it until November. Boy, it is a warning, obviously. The question is whether it's too late, Rick Davis. You know, look, I mean, you know, it's never too late because each of these races uh, have a certain tolerance, right? They, mm-hmm. they, 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 some of them are going to be closer than others, and you want to try to win the close ones. There's a whole triage that happens, and I'm sure this administration is looking at that going, we have to save as many seats as we can with at least some of these proposals. We're going to dig into a couple of them, a couple of primaries coming up as they vote in West Virginia and Nebraska. Greg Giroux, our politics campaign guru, will be here along with the panel on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, 
Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. It's the first incumbent versus incumbent matchup in the cycle. I feel like a boxing announcer now. Now, it's primary day in Nebraska and in West Virginia, where redistricting left two lawmakers in the same district to fight it out in a game of political musical chairs. And you better believe Donald Trump is involved. We'll talk about it all in a moment with Bloomberg campaign guru Greg Giroux. Voters out today in two states on this primary Tuesday. It's Nebraska and in West Virginia as well, where we have two incumbents left to fight over one congressional district because the lines were redrawn. When the music stops, there will be either Representative Alex Mooney, endorsed by Donald Trump, or Representative David McKinley, endorsed by Joe Manchin, among others. So far, the music has come from a string of really over-the-top, but I have to admit, kind of fun political ads. Have a taste. Stand by for a Trump alert. President Trump has endorsed Alex Mooney for Congress. Okay. Committed to beating Biden inflation. Alex Mooney is the official Trump Republican choice for Congress. Who broke with Republicans and voted for Joe Biden's spending spree that's driving up inflation? Who did that? David McKinley. So why would Republican back him? Good question. Mooney wins Trump's, quote, complete and total endorsement. Alex Mooney, endorsed by Trump. A fighter for Congress. Yeah, I'm going to move to West Virginia just to watch the ads. Bloomberg's Greg Giroux puts a finger on it. Trump's endorsement tested in West Virginia incumbent matchup. Greg, welcome back. Happy primary day. Alex Mooney and David McKinley have been fairly similar creatures, voted along similar lines in Washington, right? So is this a personal vendetta by Trump against David McKinley? Yeah, in a sense it is, because while David McKinley has a pretty strongly conservative voting record, he did antagonize Donald Trump on two big votes. One was the infrastructure package. Yep. Thirteen Republicans voted for Joe Biden's uh, infrastructure law. And then McKinley was one of 35 Republicans who voted for uh, what would have been a bipartisan commission to investigate the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. That never became law. A, uh, a different uh, you know, commission did sure. that McKinley opposed. But those two votes alone really uh, angered uh, Donald Trump, and that led him to endorse Alex Mooney, Alex Mooney over McKinley in this very rare <laughs> member versus member primary. All right. So here we are. Uh, uh, Mooney also enjoys support uh, of the Club for Growth, right? Uh, Lauren Boebert, among others. And uh, Representative McKinley has the backing of Joe Manchin, who, of course, also voted for the bill and actually helped to craft it, along with the Chamber of Commerce, which backed the bill. Joe Manchin even made an ad for McKinley, I'm sure uh, you've seen it, Greg, to try to set the record straight on all this. Take a listen to Joe Manchin. For Alex Mooney and his out-of-state supporters, to suggest David McKinley supported Build Back Better is an outright lie. David McKinley has always opposed reckless spending because it doesn't make sense for West Virginia. So uh, who means more in West Virginia, Greg, Trump or Manchin? 
Yeah, I guess we'll find out uh, later tonight. But uh, Trump certainly, Trump's endorsement certainly uh, carries a, a fair amount of weight, as we've yeah. seen in previous races. But it does, um, you know, Joe Manchin's uh, intervention in this race is very unusual in that he's a, obviously a Democrat uh, wading into a Republican primary here. But as Joe Manchin has shown, he has won uh, plenty of Republican votes uh, in West Virginia as well. Uh, but um, McKinley does have the geographic advantage. He represents more of the merged district than Alex Mooney. However, uh-huh. Alex Mooney did enter the home stretch of the campaign with more money. Uh, we'll have to wait and see who's going to win this one. But, um, uh, yeah, it's seen more than $5 million in television advertising, in, which goes a long way in northern West Virginia. Club for Growth was responsible, I think, for one uh, of those uh, millions, which is a heck of a lot of money, to your point, in West Virginia. Uh, how, how's the polling look, Greg? Is there enough to, to draw conclusions? That's been pretty scarce. I think it's a tough state to poll, and yeah. um, there hasn't been much independent polling. I believe there was one uh, independent survey that was released in the last couple of days that had uh, Mooney ahead of McKinley. How about Nebraska? We're also watching how the Trump brand plays tonight in Nebraska, the Republican gubernatorial primary. Uh, Charles Herbster, Mr. Herbster, backed by Trump, largely self-financed, uh, facing off uh, with Jim Pillen veterinarian, and I love self-described pig farmer. Uh, you've got to know we're, we're not in Washington anymore. Pillen was endorsed by the sitting governor, who I believe, because of term limits, is leaving. Greg, how does this one look? Yeah, so uh, Pete Ricketts, the current uh, Nebraska Republican governor, could not seek re-election because of term limits, and he's endorsed uh, uh, Pillen, as you mentioned. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Charles Herbster, he's an uh, interesting guy who is always wearing cowboy hats and uh, I believe like a <laughs> vest and a tie every time he's... Uh, goes in campaigns, and he's uh, campaigning with the enthusiastic, enthusiastic support uh, of Donald Trump. It's an open seat, as we've talked about, and uh, a very, very Republican state. And uh, mm-hmm. given how uh, strongly Republican the state is, whoever wins the, the primary will be strongly favored to be elected governor in November. Do you have a sense what drew Donald Trump into this one, or is he just, he just needs to plant the, the flag everywhere? Uh, he definitely likes to intervene in races where he has a kind of a, I think, a maybe a personal liking to the candidate, maybe the, the candidate's style. In this case, maybe Herbster's, uh, um, you know, anti, uh, anti-establishment, anti-Washington rhetoric yeah. appealed to, to Donald Trump in this case. You point out the fact that Joe Manchin is a Democrat making an ad uh, for a Republican here uh, in this case. Reminds me of when Ray Flynn made an ad for, for Scott Brown. That kind of stuff gets attention, but Joe Manchin is also has this sort of grandfatherly uh, role that he plays in West Virginia politics, right? I, I suspect that that got some attention. It really did, and I think, in, and I'm hard-pressed. I did, I'd, I'd forgotten almost about that Scott Brown uh, uh, huh. Flynn ad there. It's a good poll there. Uh, but, it, you know, in most cases, it's very, very risky, if not politically suicidal, to you know, announce an endorsement in a primary election from a politician from the opposite party. Uh, but in this case, it just kind of speaks to how uh, just how uh, well liked that Joe Manchin is in you know some Republican circles that David McKinley felt it would have helped his campaign rather than hurt it to have uh, Manchin's premature for this primary. You expect a late night? What are you watching in the next few hours, Greg, after the polls close? Uh, well, uh, 7.30 p.m. is when the, the voting is supposed to end in West Virginia. Sometimes the counting can be a little bit slow. But, um, you know, I, what I have is the I have a map of the 27 counties in the McKinley-Mooney <laughs> merged district. Uh, 19 of them are held by McKinley and 8 of them by Mooney. And I'll watch the returns as they come in. And if Mooney starts doing quite well in counties that McKinley is winning, that's going to be obviously a good night uh, for Mooney. But if McKinley can hold his own uh, in, his, in his home turf and kind of parlay that geographic advantage to, uh, yeah. uh, to, to, 
to, to his to his edge, then uh, it'll be good night for him. I always love spending time with Greg Giroux on a primary day. Doesn't you can you can just get the enthusiasm through the phone, Greg? I love it. Thank you. Great reporting. We'll be watching for you on the terminal. Reassemble the panel next. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So is it Manchin versus Trump in West Virginia? It sure sounds like it. Speaking with Greg, indirectly, of course, you know, with Manchin backing McKinley, Trump going with Mooney because McKinley voted for the infrastructure bill, uh, which, of course, Joe Manchin uh, was a big part of. We've got an interesting primary here. Of course, again, one district lost because of redistricting, redrawing the lines, which means you have incumbent on incumbent. And here we are again with the panel. Curious to hear uh, what they think. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Uh, Rick, this is another example of Donald Trump making a decision to endorse somebody largely for sort of personal reasons. In this case, he was offended by the vote on infrastructure, by the vote on January 6th. Uh, what kind of a way to pick a horse is that? Well, it's not the first time that Donald Trump has no. used retribution as a primary political motivating tool. In fact, that's kind of his whole M.O. Uh, I'm going to deny Ask Liz you Cheney. if you uh, do anything that crosses me. Yeah, Ask Liz Cheney. So uh, so this is pretty standard operating procedure for Donald Trump. And, and, and in this case, if he is successful – it's kind of a double victory lap, right? I mean, not only does he get the guy he picked, but he's dispatching someone who actually did something he didn't like. Yeah. That's what's so unique about these two incumbents. You know, they have track records in the House, and and Donald Trump could actually uh, uh, beat back an opponent at the same time, uh, putting someone in there who will basically endorse whatever his point of view is. What do you make of the Joe Manchin endorsement? I'd like to hear from both of you on this. But, Rick, as a Republican, having the Democrat come in, or was that the other way around? The Republicans called the Democrat and said, hey, we really would love for you to make an ad. You know, I I grew up in Virginia politics, you know, and we had this uh, classic guy, uh, uh, Senator Harry Byrd, uh, who was an independent. And and everybody wanted his endorsement. right? I mean, Republicans wanted his endorsement. Democrats wanted his endorsement. Uh, and I think this is the same kind of thing. I think that uh, Joe Manchin is kind of the Harry Bird of West Virginia, uh, you know, uh, brought up to speed on, on the current political scene. And and he's just a guy who Democrats want, Republicans want. He's extremely popular uh, amongst both constituencies in, um, in West Virginia. And it'll be interesting to see how much, if he doesn't pull this off, how much that uh, maybe affects his 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 power base because right now i mean he's playing some pretty hard uh political shots with the democrats you know with the understanding that he can get away with it and and if he looks like he's failed here it might chip away at some of that uh armor that's an interesting way of looking at it here uh what do you make of this genie if 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 joe manchin has that kind of grandfatherly presence in uh, west virginia politics how does donald trump come close to that 
Well, he comes close to it because he won every county in West Virginia in 2016 and 2020. He It's his second best state in the country. 2020, he wins by 68%. To me, this is Donald Trump versus infrastructure. And if Donald Trump wins, that speaks volumes to how he controls this party because West Virginia desperately needs infrastructure money. 1,545 bridges in that state rated in poor condition, the highest in the country. They have the second highest rate of power outages. You could just go on and on. They need the money. You have McKinley saying, hey, look it, I didn't play politics. I voted for what we need. And yet he could very well lose. And by the way, in this new district, he is in much more representative of the new district than Mooney. So this is a big win for Donald Trump if he pulls this off. Well, pretty incredible. Uh, quickly on the Nebraska gubernatorial, it's just interesting uh, in this case. Uh, you've got a pig farmer veterinarian uh, versus a, a pretty rich guy who's been financing his own campaign largely, walking around in cowboy hats. Rick, what's a better story for the Republican Party? You know, I, it's kind of a win-win. Whoever wins this is going to win the, the election. I, I have to be for the veterinarian. My wife's a veterinarian. I there can't oppose a veterinarian. Uh, but uh, but at we the end of the day, uh, I, I'd really side with the pig farmer because what, what Washington, D.C. needs is some much better barbecue. And maybe if this guy, you know, could have some influence in Washington, we get some decent barbecue. But um, this I'm is a win-win. Republicans are going to win this seat. Um uh, the governor's wildly popular there. He can't run because he's term limited. Uh, so I, I think this has much less controversy associated other than, you know, maybe some of the picadillos that uh, have been uh, uh, talked about uh, regarding one of the candidates. Uh, it, it's, 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 a, it's a little bit of a foregone conclusion. He's pulling for the pig farmer, Jeannie. That means Donald Trump would lose in Nebraska. That's right. And, you know, I am pulling for the pig farmer as well. There's also a third candidate in this race. But, you know, it is important to say that the Trump endorsed candidate is facing serious allegations of misconduct with eight to nine women who have accused him um, of sexual misconduct. And so he is somebody who is controversial from the start. He has been endorsed by Donald Trump. And Mm -hmm. once again, you have him versus the more establishment. These are all conservatives, but the establishment establishment wing, if you have anything like that, of the Nebraska Republican Party in, in the candidate that's endorsed by the governor of, of the sitting governor of, of Nebraska. So it is a big, big, another sort of notch in Trump's belt, if you will, mm. if he pulls these off against people who live there, who work there and who know these people. Well, if we're talking Trump, we need to uh, we need to talk about Elon uh, making news today at what was the Financial Times Future of the Car Summit. And, of course, Mr. Tesla was there, but it was Twitter that made the news. Listen to what Elon Musk says about reinstating Donald Trump. He says he will do that, assuming this deal goes through and he's actually running Twitter. Listen to Elon Musk. He has publicly stated that he will not be coming back to Twitter um, and that he will only be on Truth Social. And this is the point that I'm trying to make, which is perhaps not getting across, is that, there, is that banning Trump from Twitter didn't end Trump's voice. It will amplify it among the right. And this is why it is morally wrong and flat out stupid. Spoken like Elon Musk. Rick Davis, is there truth to that? Does that create the martyrdom that allows Donald Trump to last? You know, it hasn't. Um, you, you, know, you would have thought that had been implemented before. Uh, True Social's been kind of a dismal failure so far. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's technology that's limiting it, but 
Uh, Do you think people would still be listening to Trump if he were still on Twitter? I think the same people who are probably on True Social would be on Twitter, and yeah. and and they probably already are. And so it's really up to Trump. Uh, he, he's trying to now uh, featherbed his own economics by promoting True Social. Uh, it'd be a huge blow to them if he went back onto Twitter. So he's he's the one who's created uh, a kind of uh, jam for himself, yeah. whereas economic interests aren't aligned with his political interests. The stock's been hammered, the SPAC that will eventually uh, lead to, to this being public genie. Uh, to hear Elon Musk, though, it will amplify it among the right, which is why it is morally wrong and flat-out stupid. Should Twitter have bumped Donald Trump to begin with. It's morally wrong, he says. Yeah, you, you know, there's a really interesting theory which says that, you know, these uh, right-wing social media platforms, if you will, don't work because they don't have the foil of people on the left and progressives there to lash out against. And so Truth Social, you know, not only has Trump not used it, not only yeah. is it the dismal failure that Rick was just talking about, but, you know, it just doesn't have the reach of something like Twitter because it doesn't have liberals and progressives on it. So, you know, I keep thinking every time I hear Elon Musk say this about it being morally wrong and getting Trump back on there, that he's working for the Democrats, quite frankly, because there's <laughs> nothing they want more than Donald Trump everywhere oh. he could possibly be. Keep Joe Biden quiet, keep Donald Trump there, and they have, you know, I wouldn't even say a fighting chance, but they have a better chance than they do in a dismal year right now. That cuts both ways, though, with millions of followers, uh, Rick. I, I've heard that that logic as well. Do Republicans hope Donald Trump does not come back on Twitter? Well, it depends on which Republicans you're talking about. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm afraid uh, Jeannie's right. There are a lot of Republicans who breathed, breathed a sigh of relief when yeah. he was banned because they were sick and tired of having to respond to his comments as a member of the Republican Party every day. Uh, and it would start early in the morning and last till late at night. And so uh, when you have, you know, 25, 30 news cycles, you know, while the guy's in his waking hours, uh, it's oh, it's exhausting. And so, sure, uh, I, I think there was a sigh of relief there. Uh, I do want to make sure everybody is pointed out that the reason that he was banned uh, uh, wasn't because of just general incendiary uh, language. It's because right. he was promoting a, a soft coup. Uh, uh, you know, during the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. So uh, I, I, I don't know exactly what you have to do to break the rules enough to get banned if you're in the um, uh, Elon Musk world. It's pretty but, hard to top but, that, though. But that's pretty hard to top. How does this end then, Jeannie? He has Elon Musk begging to come back. Maybe another, you know, there's another couple of news conferences. They close the deal. It's just you know, has to has to be there for his followers when they need him. And bingo, we're back on Twitter. I think it could end that way. You know, I think this is a no win proposition for Elon Musk. If this Twitter deal goes through moderation is a requirement. There is no way around it. And it is a no win prospect. So how he's going to do this, you know, he could talk morally wrong and all yeah. everything he wants, but really, really tough to do. Great talk with both of you guys. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, our signature panel on Sound On. Thanks as well to Greg Giroux for being with us and Congressman Kevin Brady with the latest on everything here inside the bubble. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. The fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.